You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Look at him, Joel. He got it. I'm so proud. I know. We're on a roll. Do you call call it something different every time, Tom? Well, once I said uh, prevents. Yeah, I said Under the Shield prevents Fight in Progress. So we started laughing. So we we just edited it. Always entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it was was pretty funny. And actually, that's the complete opposite because really, I want to start the fight. (laughs) (laughs) You are a fight starter. I got more of that in me than preventing. Don't prevent a fight. Anyway. Well, I'm Tom, your co host, and we're with Susan. Simmons, the hostess with the mostest. Whatever, whatever. I don't know. It's just it just varies week to week. But chemo number four is in the books. Yay! Hallelujah. We need applause for that one. That's oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two more major, and then I get to start. Oh, and I didn't. I got a. I got a vent here. If y'all are doctors out there listening, I don't know why they would be, but especially oncology. But good lord, people, people have lives when they have cancer. Mm. Yeah, now radiation has decided they didn't want me to come in today to discuss the schedule. And I went, well, this doesn't work for me. I got people with guns who need dates for training. Yeah. So, yeah, looks like the whole month of May is going to be radiation. Okay. Every morning. <laughs> but they assure me it's only 10 minutes right. and they'll get mm-hmm. me in early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, y'all are killing me here. I have a life. <laughs> I need to be on the calendar. I need y'all to put things on the calendar. Yeah, no so I think the month of May, it looks like I'll start May 1st. All right. I don't know, Tom. I think uh, cancer is going to give up pretty soon, don't you think? I, I, yeah. I, mean, I had no idea what it was getting into. I, that's what I, I think, I can't too. believe it hadn't given up yet. <laughs> Good Lord, I've given it a hell of a fight, and it's just getting old, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's time for this stuff to move on. I got mm. stuff to do. So, And as the Phoenix officers say, they feel bad for the cancer. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, this should be easy. Ooh, man. <laughs> what do we do? Wrong. I just laugh. Everybody's calling. Can I go to the grocery store? I can go to the grocery store. People act like I'm a damn invalid or something. Joel, what's that all about? <laughs> you know, it's just that, that after that first one, well, that was the bad one. But it then, was. but Yeah, yeah you've been getting... You've come a long way. I have bad days, but I move on. But good gosh, and TV portrays it's driving me crazy. (laughs) TV portrays you get diagnosed, you go to bed. You get chemo, you get to bed. You're staying in the bed. Man, that would kill me. Staying in the bed would kill me. Jeez. Yeah, I got things to do. So anyway, we have uh, some very interesting guests today that we're excited to have on here because I've heard uh, one I've known. How long have I known you, Scott? About a year? Oh, yeah. I'd say a little longer than that, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, uh, Eric uh, Miner is with us, and I have heard about Eric Miner at Phoenix PD since I got out here, I think. Is I don't know. Right? I, don't, I know. don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, I, was I don't say, know. <laughs> only believe the good thing. Big <laughs> shoes to fill. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was that was 2012. Um, so it wasn't long after that, I st- your name started popping up and wow. hearing things and... 
Now, I have chemo brain and dementia, so I can't tell you what I heard, but I do. at least I remember yeah. your name. Well, hopefully so. it's a positive way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we're just honored to have you all on the show today and fill us in on kind of your backgrounds and, and what you're doing now because you retired, Eric Quinn. Yeah, I did in November of 2021. I think it's so it's been yep. wow. The 21 about or the time Tom retired. Yeah, I retired just, just over a year. 21. Yeah. yeah. Just over a year ago. Did 21 years of Phoenix Police and it was a great, great career. I love the people and the job and the community. And Wait a minute, a, you're retired. We don't have to suck up now. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. yeah I believe in it. <laughs> you got out just in time. Yeah. You can say whatever you want That's now. Exactly yeah. right. Truth is truth. Yeah. yeah, I was laughing. There's an NYPD friend that retired. I've forgotten how long he says. I think he's been retired now 10 years. And apparently at NYPD, you can't talk about stuff till you've been out 10 years. And boy, is he blowing it out of the water on Facebook. Yeah, right. uh, that day. <laughs> it's yeah. like secret number one, NYPD on Facebook. Wow. Secret number two the next day. I mean, how can they hold you accountable at like nine years even? You know? What are you I mean, going to do to me? Yeah, what are you going to yeah. do to me? Yeah, but, I've never heard that before. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to go back and, and read. He's just started this in the last week. He's somebody else we need to get on because now he's spilling all the oh, beans. Yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so give us a little background on you guys and uh, all that stuff, how you wound up here, because I know Scott's is very different than yours. Yeah, maybe. Go ahead, Scott, and I'll... Uh... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I always tell people that my law enforcement career is backwards. Um, (laughs) Most people get into this job young and then maybe do something uh, after they're they're done. But I went. Yeah, they get in when they're young and stupid. What's your excuse? Yeah, I don't have one. Yeah, I was older and stupid. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I joke with my wife uh, when it comes to career decisions. I'm like, I've made so many bad ones. I don't have any good ones left. (laughs) Uh, No, but uh, all jokes aside, I. I did 20 years in the private sector before I even became a cop, uh, which has some pros and cons to it. Sure. I think that uh, uh, it's really benefited me in terms of having that life experience outside right. the lifestyle. Okay. Um, and when I say benefited, just how I've interacted with people, I think has been, it's helped me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. just, right. I tell, I was in recruiting for a little while and uh, anytime I found somebody who had had a couple of jobs, Prior to, uh, you know, applying to the law enforcement career, I always fought, found them to be really good candidates, especially if they were uh, in sales or some sort of retail customer service. Don't say that. Don't you. Uh, uh, what I do? Customer service. Seriously. <laughs> If you are management in law enforcement and you talk about customer service in your damn police department, I'm going to rip your head off. Yeah. The customer is always right. So if I get stopped someplace and y'all brag on customer service, I'm going to say, I wasn't speeding, and I'm the customer, and I'm always right. Y'all cut that crap out. I, I hear you. The, How about uh, the customer service industry? Yeah, there for you sure. Go. You know, what I equate it to is, is hey, just if you've had a boss that you haven't liked, it's already going to make you a good candidate because you found a way yeah. to to navigate that process. And, and as Tom said, I mean, most of what we do is is talk to people. Sure. Um, you know, all the running high speed type stuff is a very small portion, right. unless you're Eric Minor, of course, and that's on a daily basis. But, but for most of us, it's, it's just learning how to, to communicate with people it and is. talk to them. Right. And whether that's um, victims or otherwise, I, I've found that my, that my sales career, mm-hmm. uh, really paid dividends 
uh, sure. as an officer, and especially being a, a little longer in the tooth or older, as they say, sure. uh, made it kind of fun. So anyway, I did 20 years in the private sector. So how old were you when you started the academy? I went through the academy at 40. Ooh, yeah. I, was, I was 30, and so I thought that was old. But. You, you know, I wonder if I can do it at 60. I'll be 64 in a few weeks. Wouldn't you that be could. fun? You definitely could. Oh, I should apply uh, just for fun. If they look at your background, they'll be like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, that might be something I need to do before 65. <laughs> and it'd have to be at Phoenix. Because yeah. that's the only place it'd be any fun. Yeah, well, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for, for sure. You know, it's funny. People will uh, will talk about law enforcement and know that I got into it kind of late. And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm too old to be a cop. And I'm like, no, not really. You, you'd be surprised. These, you know, we would see that at the academy where people would kind of go through oh, yeah. at a later age and a right. second career. And, a lot of military, uh, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I'll tell you a, a funny story. And um, we'll, we'll leave the names out of it. So, And I might even embellish the story a little bit because it <laughs> makes ahead. it better. But sure. uh, there was an, a uh, person that went through the academy. And in the past, their past life, they were a doctor. I mean, a straight up like, like medical, a medical doctor, doctor. A medical doctor who very, you know, uber successful and says, hey, I'm going to go on and be a, be an officer. And no military. No military. So this is a second career for him. And if, wow. if I get the numbers right, I mean, it, he was probably in his 50s or maybe even 60s by the time he went through the academy. There's hope it, for me, Joel. Yeah. There's <laughs> hope. But here's the funny part of the story is apparently uh, he was involved in some incident, ended up in court. And uh, as he's on the stand, the... Uh, Let's, let's say the defense attorney is trying to impeach the witness, the asshole. right? Yeah, yeah. And he had used some sort of medical terminology in his report. <laughs> okay, you know where this is going, right? Oh yeah. So apparently, this uh, the, this the, the attorney, uh, the defense attorney, is uh, you know going through the report, and he says, "Hey, you know, he uses some term. We we'll call it tension pneumothorax or something, whatever the case is." And he thinks he's going to this attorney thinks he's going to catch him short. Sure. Oh, well, tell me, uh, Officer So-and-so, where did you go to medical school? <laughs> oh, boy. Gets Here quiet. <laughs> Gets quiet, and he looks at him and says, uh, Duke University. Apparently, <laughs> the judge is just, like, looking down, just trying not yeah. to bust up laughing. So, yeah. anyway. It's called do your homework yeah, there, yeah, Mr. Uh, I don't know if that story's true or not, but it sure sounds great. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I agree. Yeah. But in any case, I'm still on the job, and uh, just having a great time. Day today. by day. Day? Yeah, day, but that's exactly one day at a time, <laughs> isn't that they say in the program, so to speak? Absolutely. So uh, as our in, lights fall here in the in, studio, in, in oh, well, any, they're still on. <laughs> in any case, we'll I, get that fixed for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, I, I love it. It's been great. This uh, it's really energized me, kind of later in life uh, to go through it, and um, I, I've just had a, had a great time with it. So it's it's been an enjoyable career. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but I think the exact opposite story would be my uh, my friend Eric here. Yeah, pretty much the, uh, I guess, the traditional route, whatever that means. Born so, and raised here in Arizona? No, I grew up in Orange County, California, in a ah. place called Mission Viejo. I, I moved <laughs> wow. there when I was uh, five years old. Wow. I was born in Santa Ana and lived there for a few years, if you're familiar with the area. And then uh, 2000 ended up here in Arizona, and a lot of that was part of this route. Uh, once I knew I wanted to be in law enforcement, I think that came... Early on, I can remember in my teens or maybe high school deciding this was definitely the route that I wanted to go. I had some family members involved. My uncle we talked about and uh, the DEA. My father was uh, with the Orange County Sheriff's Department for a little while early on in my life. And it just felt like the direction I wanted to go. Sure. 
was uh, always involved in team sports, community, and other activities where I knew I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. And yep. law enforcement seemed like the the logical route. <laughs> and uh, Did you consider military? Because my son went in the Marine Corps for that exact reason. He wanted to be part of something bigger. I did. I was very, very close in college. Uh, my friend and I talked about it and uh, went. He, he went. ended up going to the Marine Corps and OCS. And mm-hmm. I was almost there with him, and for whatever reason, it just didn't feel right last minute. And so I stayed on the track, tried to go to the DEA. That didn't work out the first that's time good. around. That's, that's yeah, all right. That's, that's all good. Bad. Thank Hindsight, you, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Hindsight, it worked out real well. And uh, Phoenix PD and several other agencies were hiring mm-hmm. a lot in Arizona. And I had tried to get on with several departments in Southern California, feeling <laughs> like this is where I grew up and this is what I knew. Didn't work out. Another Again, blessing. Another blessing. <laughs> and ended up out here with Phoenix PD. I tested with Mesa and Scottsdale at the same time and just decided whoever <laughs> hires me first, that's where I'm going to go. What and year was that? 2000. God, these babies around here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it feels like a long time ago, but yeah, not that. So yeah, ended up uh, there with Phoenix PD and it's uh, it was a great career and been retired now just over a year. So Well, lots happened too at Phoenix. When you really look at the history of, of yeah. officers' deaths and changes and things that have gone on from that point, really even from 2012, when I first got out here right. and you had the Craig Tiger situation and uh, and I'm sure there was a bunch of stuff even prior to that, but a lot of changes out here. Yeah, very well said, and that's true. And I, I think my first exposure was um, and forgive me all for not remembering exactly about 2004, uh, one of my academy mates, Eric White was killed in, uh, in an incident, uh, with, uh, another officer Wolf. And so that was my first, uh, firsthand exposure to losing somebody that I knew and had gone through the academy with. And, and so a lot of changes right sure. throughout those years. And, uh, you learn a lot about yourself and others. And then uh, recently the, it was just the anniversary and again, chemo brain, John, yeah, John Hobbs on Hobbs. March third. I saw that yes. as end of watch, and yes. uh, another friend and and uh, excellent, excellent cop and human being. So, and you know, and it, you really can't look at it as like, well, Phoenix is just such a large department. Of course, you're going to lose that many because again, I I don't know that NYPD being even bigger has other than a 911, but it just seems like there's a lot of stuff that's gone on out here, and I don't know if that's being so close to the border. Probably some. It's to do a lot with of it. things, right? Yeah. It's uh, just a lot of violence, a lot of demand for police services, and sure. and people doing their best to try to meet that demand and help each other out and build the communities well, we talk about. I, I think of the big piece is how fast Phoenix has grown yeah. over yeah. the last yeah. ten or twenty, yeah. and you try to keep up as an agency it's to tough. service yeah. that population is tough. So it can sure. you can get behind it and behind behind the power curve, as they say. Yeah. Uh, pretty quickly. So that's, that's definitely a factor. I got tickled when I moved out here in the summer of 2012, and I was talking to one of the MCSO deputies, and I said, where do I go to get my concealed carry permit? And he looks at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. <laughs> and he goes, oh, what? And I said, you know, CCW to carry my gun. He goes, Susan, welcome to the Wild West. And I'm like, oh, I have found my home. And I'm calling everybody in Alabama going, I get to carry anything wherever I want. And they're like, oh, God, do they have a clue what they've got to do? Like, this is home. Of course, we're seeing some of that even changing now. But, uh, you know, it's still the Wild West. And when people are allowed to do their jobs out here. Yeah, no, it's a lot of changes, positive. Some, uh, you know, you wish you could go back and do over. Sure. Uh, But we learn as we go on this evolution of policing, I think, is something. And I'm glad we're all a part of it in some way, right? And Absolutely. I, I come back a lot to talking about it. We need to reimagine 
policing moving forward because it's just not going to respond to what we've done in the past. Right. Sure. Uh, we have to sure. think about new ways to innovate and bring new solutions to the table. And we need to do that training, and it's working yes. so well in Atlanta at Cop City right now where they're yeah. blowing up the training academy <laughs> that they all said they yeah. wanted cops to be retrained, and I'm just thinking, I don't know what it's going to take, but uh, something, something's got to give, and it's got to give pretty soon. Yeah. So your goal in your whole career, did you have a goal when you started? If you didn't get on with DEA, we're going to go into narcotics? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I really didn't have a, a long-term plan at that point. Originally, I thought, I can't get on with DEA now. I'll go to a local police department or city department and then try again with the DEA. And, of course, things change and, sure. and went through the process again in 05 and got a, got a date to go back to Quantico and just did not feel right. I was really comfortable and happy and saw a lot of opportunity with Phoenix PD sure. and, and putting down roots, so I stayed here. But once I got into uh, the department, I had some great friends and leaders and mentors starting the Central City Precinct and saw the opportunity to really have an impact through uh, we, we had a lot of uh, gang activity and gang mm -hmm. neighborhoods down, old traditional neighborhoods, and I really enjoyed uh, not only becoming familiar with that culture, but a lot of the guys. And sure. to be honest, the gang members, for the most part, there's there's a fine line sure. between uh, police officers and gang members. There's Absolutely. a lot of commonalities, and I think that led me to be interested and find that common ground in a lot of way, mutual respect. Uh, but I knew I wanted to go to the gang unit, and then uh, the SWAT team was high on my list. I uh, mm -hmm. just saw other people doing that, going to from gangs to special assignments unit. And I think from then on, I knew that was going to be my track. But you can't do both. You can't. At Phoenix, you, it's full-time SWAT. That's correct. Yeah, you know, And I, I say that for clarification because a lot of our audience, especially right. back east and in the south, it's certainly not full-time. And that, to me, is kind of the... That'd be the fun job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you learn a lot about other agencies, what they offer and how they do business. And, and Phoenix is fortunate with uh, the size and the, the number and the personnel, at least the program. Uh, those are full-time teams, the sure. gang unit, the SWAT team, and some of the other specialty assignments that Scott's been involved with. And sure. uh, it's great, great opportunity to learn and grow. You, so, you know, did, something interesting, Susan, I'll weigh in on yeah. uh, Eric's career a little bit. We've been friends a long time and uh, something that he went on to do. And I think it must have been in between your time as a operator on the team, maybe uh, when you first became a sergeant in terms of investigations and investigating specifically officer involved shootings. And I, I always, you know, Eric brought such a tremendous amount of credibility to a really difficult process mm -hmm. right? sure. um, because we're looking at our own. And I know that um, he was able to give that perspective, not only from being on both sides of the incident um, was really helpful. And mm -hmm. I think it needed a great service there uh, with that division. So Eric, hats off to you uh, for that. And it helped a lot of people with that. Oh, it's nice of you to say, yeah, I spent one year at the professional standards uh, Bureau of our internal affairs. And that was as a newer Sergeant. So again, once you get promoted, in the Phoenix Police Department, you go from whatever specialty detail or wherever your assignment is, and you go back to patrol, which I think is a, a really good way to do that. So you stay connected with who matters most and sure. the, the purpose and the mission. And then you can look for specialty assignments as a supervisor. So after uh, one year in the patrol division, uh, took that opportunity to go to the Professional Standards Bureau and really enjoyed being able to offer that perspective. And uh, I think 
empathy and understanding to people that have been in uh, use of force and officer-involved shooting incidents. Yeah, I, that'd be a hard job. Right. Because my attitude is just shoot them all, but anyone, whatever, <laughs> let God sort it out. <laughs> but that, that would be a tough spot to be in because you are, you know, officers are making uh, split-second decisions, and it's easy to sit behind a desk and talk about what should have happened, could have right. happened, whatever. And I just, I just think that's a that's a tough spot to be in. Did you find that people looked at you very differently, or they were thankful you were in there because you were somebody that they knew would be fair and understand all those things? Or had you even been in a shooting? Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. And I think I got a little of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, so initially, I think there was some some snickering or some some side conversation about going to the rat squad or <laughs> internal affairs. But that, that was, I almost said that, yeah. but I thought I'd wait and see how he felt yeah. about it first. It, it was very limited and not from people that I knew or knew me. Mm-hmm. And uh, most everybody that I came in contact with was, I'm glad you're there, uh, especially if it was my turn to take their case or interview. Sure. Uh, it was, I'm really glad it's you. Mm-hmm. And that, that meant a lot to me that I could represent them, their needs and I had been in one shooting up to that point. So already had experience being on both sides of the table at that point. I think you should have to. I, you know, I understand that might be hard to get people that have been in shootings to want to do that job. Right. But I don't know how you can sit in judgment of actions if you've never done it. You have a total different perspective on yes. things. Yeah, it's easy to, because how many times is there a shooting and people, well, that's not the way I would have handled it. And you're thinking, you ain't done crap. What are you talking about? So it's easy to, to judge others in this. And so how did you guys wind up together? It's a good question. Yeah, we, we met in, I don't remember when, um, probably not too long after you joined the department. Right. Uh, my so wife what's was, this old guy doing here. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> not already. Good. He heard a lot of great things about Scott that he he was a reserve and then came on full time. That he had a heavy background in in the corporate world, private sector, and and I knew that would really add value to our department and agency because it's a different perspective. Sure, and that context means a lot. And, sure. Uh, my wife was was friends with Scott, and that's uh, a lot of how we met. Also, mm-hmm. uh, but we had a lot of mutual friends and and common leaders and mentors too that brought us together for sure and as in coming to this career late in life uh i'm i'm definitely behind the curve in terms of knowledge right you guys had been doing it for 20 years where even though we're the same age you have all this depth of different experiences you've had so i was and that was part of the fun of doing this as a second career of learning so much i highly recommend that for any listeners out there whatever you do Try something else, and that just the the, the portion of learning is uh, good for the soul, sure. so to speak. So I really, well, I was just sucking up the information from uh, my mentors, people like uh, Eric and other um, people that have been on the job for a long time, and whether it's in special assignments or investigations, wherever the case is, I just really enjoyed. Uh, the learning portion of it, um, especially the tactical stuff, I always thought was really interesting and watching people who do it well, I was always impressed by. So um, I was just trying to surround myself with people who were, um, I felt like very proficient um, mm-hmm. and did things with a mission and a purpose. And and that really started a pretty close relationship with Eric and I. And you guys want to start a podcast. 
We've talked about that. I, <laughs> we, yeah. we have. They we, both have great radio voices, don't you think? We, yeah. 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 Well, it's one of those things where when we sit around and talk about things, whether it's the state of the state, policing, um, Valor Protocol, or Under the Shield, or all these great programs out there that we believe so strongly in, like man, we should, somebody should be recording this right now. I think it's a, and and we don't always agree. Those are sometimes the the best conversations, uh, right. which I really enjoy. I just so, tell yeah. Tom to shut up if he's got an yeah. opinion opposite. Yeah, we we talked about it, and, and in fact, it's kind of interesting because uh, you know having an entrepreneurial spirit and coming from the corporate world prior to being in law enforcement, um, I've always kind of kept my hand in the cookie jar of of other things and needs, and uh, I have a, a side business that I do called uh, Pro Defense Advisors, and we focus on um, school safety and house of worship safety and workplace safety and all kinds. That's led all down all kinds of different uh, fun roads of, sure. of training. And uh, I got some other officers that helped me out with that uh, from time to time and share that experience. I, I guess I see these, we talked about me doing my career in reverse, right? So <laughs> I was 40 years old when I started. Um, so if you know, God willing, and the creeks don't rise, I'll I'll retire from police, and that will will be it. You know, right. be the, the tail end of my career. But I see these officers that retire, or what I would consider early, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they got twenty years on, and they're forty five, yep. uh, or something like that, and they have still have a lot to give. Yeah, clearly, and they have this great uh, depth of knowledge about. Yes. Uh, some things that a lot of people don't have much knowledge of. And uh, I feel like uh, if there's an opportunity to tap into that. So sure. there's there's life after the police department Absolutely. or dispatch or military or fire or right. whatever the case is. And um, trying to give those officers an opportunity to get that knowledge out mm-hmm. and um, share it with the, for the greater good and still have those folks continue their mission and sure. purpose because it's still there. Just right. because you're not wearing the blue suit doesn't mean that you're the things you're doing aren't is equally or even in some cases more uh, important. So I think it's important <laughs> that people realize that there's a there's life after and you can uh, you use retire. all of this. The training, the knowledge, Mm -hmm. the everything. You don't just cut this stuff off. Uh, I think that's what's happened in the past where we've seen people committing suicide and dying from health stuff within five years because they hit a wall. And they've got nothing to do now. No, no purpose. Right, no purpose. And that's, you know, you guys go into this. We've said this a million times. You're crazy. You're not mentally ill, but you're crazy. <laughs> and and there's, well, there's a few mentally well, ill. <laughs> but they're at the top of the food chain. Right. They're running these places, exactly. sadly. Um, and again, one day we'll call names. But um, I don't want to get these guys in trouble. They're just getting started. <laughs> but the reality is, is there's a personality trait here that draws you to these things. And that doesn't go away just because you retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun to fish or golf or whatever the first month, and then you're going, nah, now what am I going to do? Where's the purpose here? And that's a huge part of what we do at Under the Shield also is giving people an opportunity to stay connected to the industry right. in a helpful way and use their knowledge, their experience, or whatever they've been through. Um, our, our new thing, I don't even know if I've shared it with Tom, but it's finding purpose in your pain. Mm-hmm. When you can take a bad situation, whatever that is, and help someone else with it, now you understand why you had to go through that in order to be able to help others. And and that's an amazing feeling to yes. have, to, yes. you, to know that you've helped somebody realize oh, that yeah. that position is, is temporary. 
you know, and you can get them through that. And this stuff you have to have been through. Right. And that's the whole thing. Now, you also have a second career. I don't know if you're considering that full time at this point or is this something you've kind of been playing around with? Yeah, it feels like it's full time. Right. But it's part of the bigger whole. And, and to your point of purpose and meaning, you find these other projects. And that was a big part of why I wanted to retire when I did. I, I Life is short mm -hmm. and I didn't want to miss out on further opportunities to be with people and involved in projects that matter. Sure. And so in addition to being more present at home and with family, with a house full of kids, uh, there were some other opportunities to still be a part of law enforcement and building and connecting with uh, our fine officers. Sure. And that I knew in my career, the greatest reward that I ever felt was helping somebody get to where they wanted to be, mm -hmm. being a mentor, being in that leadership capacity where you could connect in a meaningful way and see them accomplish. Sure. And it's very similar to being a parent. You want to see these people accomplish <laughs> more than you, you right. ever could. Yeah. Yes. Uh, find those opportunities. And sometimes they fail or they fall, and you're a part of that. Uh, but I'm still involved heavily in, in the law enforcement profession, mm -hmm. just from a different angle, I'm part of a uh, small startup here, Phoenix-based company that offers and provides services to focus on recruiting, retention, and development. What so, a concept. Yeah. Really, <laughs> Not needed at all. <laughs> no. Yeah, really a proactive way to help law enforcement agencies and personnel Focus on growth and sure. purpose and meaning. Because, again, we break people in this career, right? We, yes. a lot of times, are used to being reactive. That's our culture mm -hmm. in, in law enforcement. And a lot of times it's too late. So how do we stay ahead of that power curve and provide somebody with the opportunity to focus and look outward and upward and, and grow and learn and, and try new things? And I think that better situates people to be at peace and find happiness in their current state but better prepares them for that transition, whether it be sure. retirement or a different career path. Uh, it's a focus and alignment there. Well, and that mentoring, uh, you know, and again, I, I've said this before, the Memphis situation that happened, I, I'm, I'm not sitting in judgment of those guys. Wasn't there, don't know, don't agree with some of the stuff that happened. But you can't help but wonder if the lack of mentoring, because you're talking about officers, I think they said most of them had average five years in that right. Scorpion squad, first of all, why in Memphis would you? I get it in Arizona if we want to call them Scorpion squads because we've got <laughs> damn scorpions everywhere. Um, but the reality is, is you know, departments, I, I'm finding, don't seem to understand the importance of the senior people. Mm -hmm. To want to retain them in some capacity after retirement, it, it's like they, okay, go away, uh, leave mm -hmm. us alone, when the reality is, is that's what's needed. Yeah. The guys that have been there that, you know, I've, I, as a litigation paralegal 15 years, I used to laugh at departments and I'd say, do you understand your five-year, I hate to call them veteran because that's what they call them now. It used to be 10, but five-year veteran, you have less liability with that one than you got the new recruit coming out of the academy because mm -hmm. the five-year guy figured out what he was doing wrong and, and got spanked for it sometimes, but the new one's still trying to figure it out got to have people in there who can go, yeah, I did that too, and that didn't work out real well for me. <laughs> well, I think that's a big piece. And I know when I uh, – I've had a little exposure to uh, to Eric's group and uh, Valor Protocol. And what I like about it is you, you get to see these these uh, mentors, right? Uh, it's almost like a grocery list. And Eric, jump in if I'm not dis uh, describing it correctly. But I think about <clears throat> Eric – Hey, if you saw, hey, I, you know, I spent 21 years in a large agency. I was in gangs. I was in special assignments. I was this. 
as a new officer, like I was, and trying to surround myself with people with all this mm -hmm. knowledge, sure. I would pick that person and go, man, how, where else could you get access to someone like this right. or for Tom and I'd say, Hey, I might want to know about more about motors or accident reconstruction. He all can't tell you cause he doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, the TBI from his wreck, but it's all good. <laughs> but these poor kids today, you know, they're, they're on third shift, yes. uh, working a lot of hours and just trying to keep their head above water. Maybe they don't have the ability to get access to people like right. Tom or sure. Eric, right. And this, that's why I think this, this, what they're doing over there is really important. And yeah. the way they're doing it in terms of giving those kids, uh, some opportunity to talk to people like these two sitting right next to me with Tom sure. and Eric. I mean, what a great opportunity. Yeah. Think so about what all do y'all, what all do y'all cover? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. There's We have over 200 coaches right now, and they all come from a law enforcement background, the vast Good. majority, either current or recently retired. Mm -hmm. And they offer different perspectives and experience, and, of course, they're vetted. Mm -hmm. We don't want to have somebody talk about leadership that has never been in a leadership Amen. capacity right. or only studied it in books, right? They, or that, wasn't uh, a good leader. Yeah, that's or, a bigger one. Yeah, that's right? a good point. Yeah. Uh, but it's everything from leadership development to operational decision-making to planning for retirement to fitness, uh, a whole wide gamut of different experience bases and really subject matter expertise where these people can go and look for a, a person that fits what they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And these people are all over the nation. It's one-on-one -on -one virtual coaching and they can talk and, and handle these things and nobody ever has to know about it or they can share. And, and I think creating that community yep. and opportunity is, is super important to, again, to Scott's point, uh, give that opportunity to somebody where it may not be happening organically in their circles or their department. Mm -hmm. um, we lose sight of that. And you'll hear, you will hear Scott and I talk endlessly about culture and purpose and leadership and how that creates an environment to keep everybody aligned with what brought them here in the first place. And if somebody loses sight of that or they get distracted, that's where I think the uncertainty or the, uh, the misdirection, the, even the sadness can come into play and really deteriorate a person's perspective and ability to do what they sure. came here in the first place to do. Well, morale falls. And, and, I, and I think over probably the last 10, 15 years, I've watched more of a, uh, it, it, it's turning against each other. It's, it's competitive. Yes. I can't help you because that might take my spot. Mm -hmm. And I got to be the one that makes that sergeant spot and those things. And I don't know why the top of food chains tends to think that's a good idea, but they do. And this this ratting on each other, policies that are put in place now that you got to what the heck? Yeah, we're too good at eating our own. Yes. Oh, it's sure. yes. unbelievable. And yeah, that's sad. Sure. And I think one of the things you mentioned, too, when I talked to you guys the other day was even helping people get ready for promotional. Yes, that, that seems to be a very popular topic. That's a scary topic. thing. Right. It is. It can be. But it's a, another way to reintroduce or realign somebody with their their core values and yes. objectives and purpose where maybe they were thinking of quitting or, you know, it hit me when I saw a kid right before I retired who I knew uh, when he was an OIT and a son, maybe a year later, mm -hmm. and he was a completely different person. As an officer in training, he was excited. He was enthusiastic, positive. I'm going to get out there and save the world. Mm -hmm. And just a year later, like, hey, boss, I don't know if I'm going to even stick around. Sure. I just go park behind Walmart, and I, I hope nobody calls because I don't want to fill in the blank, sure. right? And, and that – really hit me where we are failing as uh, an organization and as sure. leaders to create and foster a culture mm -hmm. where 
we don't lose sight of those those individuals. Yeah. We lose them, we lose the fight. Yes. Oh, man. You, I yeah. couldn't agree more. I yeah. I have as I've went through this journey um, as a as a supervisor even uh, in the department, I've I've really learned to refocus myself on patrol and and smaller departments I don't think they may have as much uh, difficulty with this because everybody's a patrol officer. If you're, if you only got five people or 15 or whatever right. the, the average is, but the larger departments, I think that's something that can get lost and it's, sure. everybody's in this hurry to get out of patrol and off to the next cool high speed detail. But at the end of the day, we're all patrol officers Absolutely. and we need to remember that. Um, if we have one job, it's answering 911 calls. And I'll, I'll tell you what I've learned is, is being really, I saw this more clearly as a supervisor is I would make the argument there is no one more braver or noble than a patrol officer. Absolutely. It's the backbone. That, it's the that, backbone to everything. That, that person, mm-hmm. and you think about this, they're the one that responds to the unknown trouble call mm-hmm. yep. with a handgun, 52 rounds, and some soft body armor. Sure. That That's all that or they know. Or stops the vehicle that's uh, dark tinted, no right. idea how Who, many in there, what's in there, nothing. Give, give me a detail that sure. ha, that is braver or more noble than that. Yep. I mean, I'll, I'll pick on uh, SAU for a second. I mean, Eric can and chime in here. By the time you guys are some uh, a packet lands on your desk, you know, probably been watching them for a week. You know everything about everything with them. And you're going to show up with a, a piece of armor and a bunch of silverback gorillas with all kinds of heavy vests, <laughs> right? Uh, th- but think about that My kid. My kind of thing. <laughs> think, again, think about yeah, that kid that's uh, third shift on a weekend right. headed out to the the report of the person behind the Circle K. Sure. That's that's the that's the hero. And They're that, all heroes, but man, I got some. I got a special place in my heart yep. for patrol, and that's been a. Uh, I have found myself refocusing on that over and over and over again. And not that the other details aren't important; they are. I sure. mean, the homicide investigators work long hours and do amazing work, and SAU and all those guys are just fantastic. It's but a different environment. Don't lose sight yeah. of that patrol officer, man. They are they are our everything. And um, departments and have got to di- stop making that the dumping ground for discipline. Yeah. yeah I, I, sure. I, 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 well, I you're most exposed, yes. right? Because you're having to make those decisions and with a very, very limited amount of information. We, we throw this term Court around backup. all the time. The uh, Intel drives tactics, right? Intel, you, you can't, you know, you can't go to any type of training without hearing that 14 times. And it's true. But back to my point. What intel does that officer yeah. have going to the un- uh, unknown trouble call? Usually very limited. Got what yeah. dispatch told him. Yeah. And then they just got it. Then they just have to react to whatever happens in front yeah. of them. And, and we got to give those those officers all the tools necessary, which is what which is again one thing I like about the the Valor Protocol model is they now have immediate access to some folks mm-hmm. that they normally normally would. So sure. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. Sure. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. My, I always tell people my heart is in patrol. Yes. That's where I, I love to be, love to go back to. I still keep in touch with many of those. And and I spent a lot of time in specialty details and there's a lot of love and appreciation there. They do fantastic work. But again, that mindset and the culture of we are here to support patrol mm-hmm. that cannot be overlooked or Absolutely. forgotten or abused. And to Scott's point, the patrol officer is in the greatest need of leadership development, of right. mentorship, of guidance, of clarity, sure. of mission clarity, all of those things. And I've been involved in dozens and dozens of critical incidents and what whatever people call high-speed incidents, whatever that means. Yeah. And I've seen some heroic, brave actions 
repeatedly. Many of those come from patrol. Yep. I've never been more touched or uh, personally impacted by watching the bravery and valor and courage of our patrol officers under exceptional circumstances do exactly what we expect them to do. Sure. And that, that will stay with me long after many of the other things I've seen and been a part of. Well, I, I think about, well, I think the first podcast of yours that I listened to, Susan, was Mark's. Yes. And, and I don't know him personally. I was around for that uh, incident. Talking about Mark Valenzuela. Yes. Yes. Um, and just to listen to him, who was a patrol officer, <laughs> yes. right? I and mean, now he's got an amazing background. And um, I'd say... Uh, maybe a little bit different. Uh, you know, he's he's just he's very proficient in the things he does. And if you've, anybody's seen that video, they will, will agree Absolutely. with me. But but listening to him kind of talk through that process from mm -hmm. him perspective was such an eye opener for sure. me. Which is one of the reasons why I love what you do and your coaches have. And we were talking before the podcast of uh, people that we know that are stretch stretch coaches. And holy cow, do they bring a just uh, credibility, knowledge, sure. uh, having been there. Sure. It's so important. I was, um, so, so Mark's, I highly recommend all our listeners go yes. back and catch that one because it's, it's pivotal. He talks about his yeah. faith and just, it really, it really touched me when mm -hmm. I was listening to it. And one of the reasons that, that you and I got together, but then I also um, was listening to the podcast, I think it would have been two ago with John. Mattingly, 12 yes. seconds in the yeah. dark. Yeah, absolutely. And um, of course, you know, he talks about that incident and, and all kinds of things I learn every time. I've listened to a couple of podcasts <laughs> that he's been on to talk about. And every single time, and he he mentioned he touches another point that right. people didn't know. And I, you know, I start kicking things in my garage because I'm so mad about it. But one thing about his podcast and talking to you that, that you guys kind of brought out of him is, and Tom, you mentioned a second ago is, how departments tend to eat their own yes. and how he was treated right. by yes. that department uh, post incident yeah. was unacceptable it and, was. His and, every, and his right. family. Right. Uh, and, and which really hits home with me. And, and to me, it's like, uh, again, it's, it makes me angry, but I, the first thing I think of is man, how can we prevent that within our, what can we do going forward to keep that from happening? Right. And I, sure. I feel like I don't, I don't know, John, but I feel like he sees it the same way. He's like, hey, I wanna, want my wife to talk about what yes. she went through. I want to talk about these things, not to throw people down, but just for these young officers. Awareness. These, yeah. yeah, these, these four and five-year officers. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's people so can't important. be prepared if you don't, if, if you're going to yeah. lie to them and give them false info. But yeah. again, so much of this is the leadership role from the top down. And I, I don't understand where it's coming from and why they think that, Policing our own is just the way to go about this and, and boost morale and make people want to do this job and want to do a good job. And, you know, it, it just it doesn't fit. But that seems to be so much of the philosophy these days. And when I hear of things like internal affairs investigations that 85 to 90 percent are in-house complaints, not citizen driven complaints. And you start going no wonder crime's running rampant in our street. We're too busy policing at headquarters than we are right. out here. And there's got to be a way to overcome that. And, and we've got to get beyond that. There's got to be a balance. Well, and overcoming the length of time of some of these oh my agencies gosh. are doing on, you know, internal investigations. It's crazy. Well, and sitting at home. Right. You know, I, sitting I had, at home being paid. Yeah. I had to laugh when Phoenix implemented the 30-day policy. If you were in a critical incident or shooting, you basically sit at home for 30 days. And I'm thinking, I know where it came from. It came from mental health. They talked to the wrong mental health. But the bottom line is, 
that limits an officer's ability to work extra jobs, and sometimes families depend on the income. Now, the wife or husband's going, don't get in a shooting or critical <laughs> because we can't afford you to be sitting at home for 30 days. Yeah. And now the job is coming home. Or we have them, I, I know I've had them in Alabama, sit at home 11 months after a good shoot, uh, waiting for grand jury to clear them. Adds way more stress to their life. Oh, my than gosh. Anything way more, for, right? And, and what's everybody at their department? Yeah. There must be more to this. Yeah. There must be something we don't know that happened here. And, and and now we're critiquing each other. And, it you know, this is this has to be a population that you're backing each other up. You're You're each other's defense here. Yeah, this, this comes back to the culture discussion again. And uh, I try to understand and being a little bit part of the upper management uh, to a degree, I try to understand. I know they have many pressures and things that they're trying to deal with and many personalities they're sure. trying to please, all of those things. But again, it's a leadership perspective of am I going to do the right thing for the right reasons? Right. Mm -hmm. Am I going to stay true to my principles and values at any cost, right? Sure. And focusing on others first yes. rather than myself. So that, that culture of either self-preservation and fear and uncertainty will prevail. Yep. But will also prevail is a culture of selflessness and love yes. and sacrifice. So it's one or the other. And it's up to people, all of us, sure. to help support and instill that. Because that trickles down to every single person and that radiates Absolutely. for good or for bad. Yep. Well, and I think a lot of it, sadly, is because of that reputation, the people who really would be good leaders as sergeants, lieutenants, commanders, whatever rank structure, um, don't want to do the job because it's hard to be the one. It's the perception. Yeah, but those it's, it's are the hard. ones we need doing. It's hard. It. And we've seen uh, many good leaders, good friends of ours that have recently left, whether it's Phoenix Police Department or others. And, and I truly believe that they get into a position where they see an opportunity where, hey, I'm now at this rank and should have impact and ability to make change and to <laughs> connect and do things. And then they find out that that's limited. And yes. Very I limited. think it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's heartbreaking, right, for sure. them. They're not quitting the fight or leaving people unattended. I think it's it's heartbreaking each day to know that you are there in a position to do so much good and you're unable to do it. Sure. Absolutely. And yeah. that's the stuff that has to change. Are you guys doing, are you doing any kind of training or are you going to be doing any kind of training for, you know, we do a supervisor's training, but we typically wind up with the sergeants mainly. We probably have had some lieutenants in there. Um, but the reality of the matter is this needs to be at the highest levels that Agreed. they need to be hearing this stuff. Agreed. And it's the leadership training. And, and Scott and I have been a part of that for a long time with the with the department and elsewhere. And I'm glad they bought on to that at one point is we need to prepare people from a leadership perspective first mm -hmm. and then introduce them to how that applies to their position, not just as a police personnel or officer, but in life. Sure. These are salient principles that prevail regardless of industry and circumstance and environment. So the more we can go in and talk about leadership philosophy, and then how do you apply that in your situation? That, to me, is how we build culture. And sure. So doing that not only in the department, but now beyond, it's a huge element. And I spend a lot of my time uh, when I can helping people with the promotional process or they want to go to a specialty detail or any number of these things to propel their career tra trajectory and lifestyle. And, and to me, that's the greatest reward that yeah. I have. And again, being the recipient of that by many good people, it feels so righteous and, and, and personally gratifying to know, man, I was able to add a little bit to this person's life mm -hmm. to help them 
hit that next level. Sure. Well, the thing that never made sense to me going all the way back to the beginning was how we promote people to be a sergeant over something they've never done. <laughs> and, you know, I think that puts people, unless you really have leadership qualities, it leads to micromanaging. It can, sure. And that's a real sick psychopathology, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, <laughs> because they wind up with, I got to keep everybody under my thumb so they don't know when in reality it's very obvious. But when you've done the job at some level and now you're brought in as a supervisor, um, you know, you still got to be the one who goes, hey, you're doing the job. What what do you need from me? I said, that mm-hmm. should be every sergeant's or first line supervisor's question to their people. What can I do for yep. you today? Because that's my job. Servant leadership. We yes. call that. Yes. That's where they should start. For but sure. when you take somebody out of patrol and put them over Rob Hom and they've never run an investigation, so to speak, how in the world? I don't understand why that has always been part of the culture. Yeah, it's it's a challenge you face, and 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 we've seen it both ways. Uh, whether it's the special assignments unit or elsewhere, you see uh, supervisors that come to the unit that have been there mm-hmm. and do well. Um, I've also seen many cases where supervisors come that have never been there as an officer and they do a great job. Right. And I think that's uh, part of that leadership culture perspective. Exactly. It lends to more humility and openness and vulnerability to your point to say, listen, guys, what do you need? Sure. I understand what the mission is. I understand the big picture. I am going to facilitate that. I trust and love you to do that. Yes. What is it that you need? And that takes a very special person Mm -hmm. to do that. And sadly, military overall, I'm not going to say it's always perfect because my son had some that should not have been leaders. But the reality of the matter is the models, I think, in the military have pretty good systems for it. But law enforcement seems to want to fight against that pushback. You know, we've got Luke Air Force Base here. Um, I, I can't help but believe they've got some type of leadership training out there that could be of some value. I know in Montgomery, we had everything there at Maxwell Air Force Base, uh, you know, War College, everything. And I remember the former chief uh, in Montgomery, and he would send people to those trainings. And then they'd come back and he go, now forget everything you learned because we ain't doing it here. And I'm thinking, what what was that purpose? Yeah. What's the point? And I'm sorry, but taking a test does not tell you if you really are going to be a good leader. There's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah, that's part of it. And and I think that ongoing training, uh, the mentoring and coaching, mm-hmm. the training that you provide, right? Hey, you're, you're now in this position. Nobody's ever arrived. We're never complete in our journey. We should right. be constantly learning. And that takes a great right. deal of humility and a lack of ego. But, sure. Um, we, we need to do a better job, and I think we do some, but more so reaching out to other industries where yes. leadership is leadership, and Scott yes. can speak to that. We need to look how other organizations operate and how they connect with their people mm-hmm. and how they lead, and vice versa. We sure. can offer a lot of shared lessons. Yeah, sure. I, I'll speak to one piece of that is I had a, uh, a CEO in a you know, prior life that would come out and ride with the, the lowest level sales rep. And it, I mean, a lot of anxiety sure. for that sales rep on, on day one because like the man is right. showing up. Sure. But it was amazing how quickly they would create a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, hey, this guy puts his pants on one leg at a time, yeah. just like I do. Exactly. And you, you find you have some similarities. And then even more importantly, the reason the CEO did this and what made him such a great CEO is he's like, man, I had no idea your territory was so, so big. All these challenges yep. that they face. So uh, I, I saw it. Yeah, a little bit in uh, police too. The 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 higher level supervisor or leadership 
anytime they would actually get out to patrol yes. was a real eye opener. Like, yes. huh, I didn't, you know, yeah. whether it's the information system you're using, whether it's the radio, whether it's the car. Sure. Uh, I, I can remember one, um, I won't name names, uh, but they came, this is what it was, a, uh, I think it was assistant chief at the time, came out, did a ride along uh-huh. with a third shift officer. And back then we had Impalas, which was a real small car, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially for a bigger breeze. guy like me. And uh, and then by the time you put all the equipment in there and, and then they're yeah. breaking out. The time. Trying to and get in and out of that passenger that was just side. It. That was just it. So this this assistant chief had to get in and out yeah. uh, for a night and comes back and is like, what in the world are we, you know, what yeah. can we do about this? And starts uh, presenting solutions at a yeah. high level. And I, I always thought, man, now that guy. Yeah gets it. Yeah, things look good on paper. Oh, exactly. yeah, right. But then yeah, yeah. to implement it, it, but the CEO, had he started at that same level? Yeah. Uh, so this particular CEO had essentially, yeah, so the answer is yes. So he, he had, had essentially started and, and went through all the ranks, yeah. right? So yeah. he it was it was a little bit more comfortable for him to come in sure. and go back to that and be like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Or, yeah, oh, this has changed a lot right. and, and recognize that. Sure. I think good leaders, uh, no matter what the industry is, uh, can relate with the mission. Yep. And I think it's Jocko who says this is keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. You know, what are we trying to do in, yeah. in, in sales? Hey, we're trying to sell more stuff in, in policing. We're trying to provide some public safety. What, what is it that we need to um, do to give our officers the tools to do that? And, and staying on course with that is, is really important. I'm always impressed uh, when I see that. And I'll just say, um, I have seen some phenomenal leadership at at Phoenix PD. I mean, just absolutely really good. I mean, hey, it's easy to talk about the ones that aren't so, <laughs> sure, right? And sure. I'll, since I still work there, I'll leave that one uh, kind of alone. <laughs> but I will tell you that um, I've been really fortunate to meet people like Eric and some others that I, I, I can't say enough good things about what they do and try to do. And I, I, I think for me, when I feel sorry for them, and Eric touched on this just a minute ago, is when those really good leaders uh-huh. try to implement change and try to do the right mm-hmm. thing and then run a, run up against the wall, right. so For to speak, no reason. For no reason. And, and who knows where that wall might be, but to watch them just re- – it's it's got to be a, a a feeling of despair sure. when you know what to do, you know how to fix it, but there's some obstacle that you're just really having difficulty getting over. So I, I feel for that upper management. We like to blame them a lot, and a lot of times they, they <laughs> deserve, it. deserve it. But to watch them try and break through and and do some of those things has got to be frustrating, uh, from at least from the lower level watching that. So I, I appreciate what they go through on a regular basis as well. But, you know, the lower level, they're not stupid people. No. And when you ask a supervisor, why are we doing that? And they say, because I tell you to. Right yeah, off the bat, the approach. They, yeah. they ain't got a clue either. And you're better off to go, I got no idea, but I was told from up above me, rather than, because, and again, I've heard it for 30 plus years, I had to take it as my turn to dish it out. That has to change. And when we're sitting right here and at least appearance, Mark Lamb, the sheriff in Pinell County, Mm -hmm. has it figured out. Now, you know, that's always subject to change, as I've told him. But the reality, he gets out and he rides. He's out in the public. He's with his people. He sees what's happening. He has his pet peeves, and I love that he hates left lane drivers because I'm right there with him. (laughs) Um, But he's visible. And his guys know he's out there. I don't know the last time I've heard of a chief in the right. valley getting out riding with anybody for any reason other than maybe to find out what they're doing wrong. Yeah. 
And that's the kind of, and I'm not mean they got to be out on graves every night, but be available to your people. Get yep. their suggestions. You're going to get some great ideas from it. And again, everybody at Pinell County so far seems to be pretty happy down there because of Mark's ability, and he came up through it, right. and I think he's a true leader. You talk about the ideas, and that's a, and I'm going to steal one of Eric's uh, comments here, but we we talk about problem solvers mm-hmm. and problem identifiers, mm-hmm. right? And as young patrol officers, I think they get into it, you know, wanting to solve problems and solve problems, and then they can start to fall off. Eric mentioned the OIT, you start leaning towards that problem identifier uh-huh. category. And as supervisors, I think good ones anyway, says when somebody says, yeah, man, I, I hate these cars or I hate whatever the case is. What's give me an alternative. Bring me a solution. Because I, I not, I'm not trying to say it to make the problem more difficult. I'm like, tell me what to do. You're the one that, that right. has to deal with this every day. Right. So get, let me help me help you Absolutely. Uh, as they say. So um, helping these officers become problem solvers and give them a voice. Yes. And that's why I think when when a chief or even even a commander, whatever rank gets in the car with that person and they get to actually listen to, yes. hey, man, yeah. here's what we're finding. Here's the problem here. And this is what I think we should do. Sure. And to see some success there, man, that's the answers are in the room yes. uh, in many cases. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, you just have to listen. That's all. And yet yeah. sometimes well, I do think law enforcement does need to get outside of itself also. Oh, for sure. And this is where we get so frustrated at Under the Shield because, again, all they seem to want to go to is the licensed mental health world. Not they don't have a place. They do have a place. But there are some of us that also have the mental health background, that also have the lifestyle background, that also have some other ideas. Might be helpful. You can dismiss it once you give me a chance to tell you what it is. But there's... If you're not licensed, then we can't hear that. And all it is is, again, it's this concept of taking a test that gives you your value. <laughs> and you go, I never met a test that gave me my value because right. I can rote memory a whole lot of stuff and then dismiss it the minute I finish taking that stupid test. But, sure, ask any cop. Who who would they rather talk to, Mark Melenzuela right. or some person that just got out of Stanford Psychological School, right? right. I mean, I can tell you pretty much unanimously yep. which one they're going to go to. So. Why isn't there, and I've never heard of it, but is there, have you ever heard of an agency anywhere that, Say patrol can even nominate people that they think would be good sergeants. Has that ever been done anywhere that anybody knows of? Good point. You know, as as I travel across the nation, talk to a lot of different cops and agencies, you see different methods of promotion and leadership Mm -hmm. development and culture building. That that is, if it's there, it's limited, right? There might be some kind of peer review or or suggestion or Mm -hmm. endorsement, but... I think, again, we, we get so comfortable in being reactive or doing mm-hmm. things the way we've always done them. Yes. We keep trying to jam the same solution into a different box without being right. innovative yep. and look to Google or somebody and say, hey, why is the culture here so strong? Right. You get people that come here. You get hundreds of thousands of applications. They don't leave. Yep. Why is that? And start to emulate some of that culture building and offer it to law enforcement. So yes. It, it's an ongoing process. Susan, I, I need to be a chief. You got to remember. Got my vote. You have to remember <laughs> the the two things that cops hate most, right? 
change in the way things are. Yes. So yeah. let's remember that. Well, but I'm going to correct you on one thing. Y'all actually love change as long as you're in control of it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, as long as it benefits No, because then I don't have anybody to blame. <laughs> well, so, I've always like said that y'all go because, again, I get bored in patrol over here. Yeah. I can go over here. But before I get here, my sergeant tells me I got to go over here. Now I'm pissed off. I got to go over here <laughs> because you were in control of it till then. But, you know, that to me, it would be a really interesting model to see. And I'm not, I mean, nothing's 100%. But what we're doing, we know isn't working. It, it's yeah. clear it's not working. Well, so you, let's try something. You know, uh, something that I've seen, and we used it in, in the private sector, and, and I actually tried it as a patrol sergeant and, and had some success with it, is uh, a 360-degree um, review. So, for example, when, so, I, yeah, I'm a patrol sergeant. I've got 12 officers. Um, yeah, my lieutenant, who I see, you know, once a week, if that, right. uh, they're going to, you know, write my performance evaluation. But really, how I'm doing as a sergeant is probably going to be dictated by these 12 people, Absolutely. right? So, so giving them an yes. opportunity to have a voice, now you better be ready to hear it. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. Don't get offended. Don't take it personally. But, but, but... I, I will tell you, having done that um, on my, my first patrol squad, and I got a little bit of, hey, you do this or don't do this, it was um, a little difficult. Sure. Um, to take in, but I knew it was coming from a good place. And overall, I could see, okay, there's some trends here. I'm doing mm -hmm. some things good. Let's keep doing that. And then there's some other things that I didn't even realize I was doing this. But now that you mention it, it's like, yeah, yeah I probably did. I'm, I, you know, I, I can course correct. So sure. that 360 degree review, I think is a really good concept. And, and don't get me wrong. You get to throw out the person that's just mad about everything. Sure. And, hey, I don't like the way you cut your hair. Okay. Sure. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, sure. But, but overall, you're yeah. probably going to get a pretty good look at things I agree. from something you know, like I, that. I only had one sergeant that I worked for that ever did that in my career. And <laughs> he came to me and, and he was giving me my eval. And then afterwards he says, all right, I gave you your eval. I want you to give me awesome. your opinion. Yeah. Awesome. And, I, and the first thing I said is, are you sure you want me to do that? <laughs> right. Because I, I had to know, can I speak freely? You sure. Know? And he's like, no matter what, good or bad, tell me how it is. And I laid the good and the bad out. And, and you have to do both. Exactly. You can't just hammer you, yeah. somebody. Tom, you bring up a good point. And the way that I did it um, was I used a, uh, what do they call that? Survey genius or oh, survey, survey monkey. Survey monkey. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, I said, hey, it's anonymous. Now, Sort of anonymous, right? I've been I've been Ain't reading I've been reading these world. guys' reports day in <laughs> right. and day out, so I know exactly. Who, but at least it appeared to be anonymous, and they were able to just be like, "Yeah, and another thing, I don't, you know." Yeah, and yeah. it was, but but it was, it took a little bit of that away of our. So are you sure this isn't going to be? Yeah. Is this is this really just Scott to whoever, or is sure. this sergeant to officer? So, uh, for those of for for any of your listeners that are supervisors and want to try that, I mean the the survey monkey's free. Sure, um, yeah. I. I know it went a long way with my officer. Sounds like it sat yeah. with you pretty positively. Yeah, it, it was very positive. And he appreciated even the bad that I told him. Yeah. So, you know, sure. there was more good. You right. Know, well, but, but sometimes you can get an explanation also of why right. they're doing the things that don't seem like right. they're the right thing to do because he's being dictated to up the chain. Yeah. But at least there's an understanding. We're all adults, people. Yeah. We're, this isn't school and teachers' principles. Yeah, you know, and the structure. nice thing is when I when I told him some of the bad, he like you, he didn't have any idea that he was doing that. Oh, for sure. And then he was like, oh, like the light bulb came on, oh. and then things were changed. Huge. Which yeah, awareness made, goes a long way, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes you miss out on that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's unfortunate that it's a shock in our industry that we do something like a mm -hmm. 360 degree eval, and it's. 
it's shocking. It's new. It's blowing people's yeah, minds. I've never heard of it. <laughs> uh, but the, the couple times also that I've, I've tried it, it, it was amazing. And you get that feedback that is infinitely valuable. You present it as anonymous. And most of the time, people, especially when you've already got that relationship, and we'll come back to that a lot, Sure, they want you to know, hey, this is from me. Right. Most of it's overwhelmingly positive. Exactly. Thank you for asking us. Thank sure. you for listening. Sure. A lot of times people just want to know that you care and that care. you're listening. Right. Yeah. And the I'll best tell supervisors, that's the key. Mm -hmm. I yeah. care about you, not not about it's not about me. Yep. Yes. That is the whole thing. It's uh, for in, in my case when I was prefacing this with Scott, hey, I'm gonna send this to you. This is what it is. And I, I had to tell them, I'm like, look, please don't make all positive. Like, right. don't just make stuff up, obviously. Right. But but <laughs> I I need to hear from you what it is that right. I need to work on. And if you don't care about you, make me a better supervisor yes. for the next squad right. I go to. Yes. Like, help me be better for right. that person. Let so, you grow. And that, that, that's right. And and I uh, this was a special squad in my heart, and they, they always will have a place there. Uh, but... You know, they were in a they, they would give me feedback that I knew was coming from a good place, even mm -hmm. if it was constructive criticism. Right. And that sure. somehow because, you know, my ego's got its own issues, like somehow I could <laughs> swallow that better sure. because I'm like, I know they're trying to make me better. And exactly. And yeah. I asked for it. And I asked for mm -hmm. it. Right. It was it's a it's a good process. Um, and I, you can't mandate it no. because it, it doesn't work that way. But I think we should be looking for leaders in our organization that think that way sure. and want to, they, they, the term they use in corporate America is, you know, manage by walking around yeah. and yeah. being out in, yeah. you know, the, the, feeling some of the, the constraints that they, they uh, run up on on a daily basis. Right. So well, anyway, like that's when my we soapbox do, on When that. we do trainings, we tell them at the end, we give them a, uh, a review, survey, whatever. And I go, don't put, I did not like this class. Yeah. yeah. That tells me absolutely nothing. <laughs> That's so true. You know, so you, true. you put that and that is personal. You just don't like me. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I ain't worried about you. Problem identifying. Right? Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, tell us what's not working. What, yeah. what you think we missed the boat on. And, you know, those are the ones that we get the most value out of because yeah. then we can either go, OK, that's something we might need to add or change or whatever. Or but this guy was way out of touch. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. He's just an idiot. You, whatever. you know, it's, it's interesting. You talked about getting out of your industry, too. And I think that's a that's a really critical point. I, I do some trainings now out of my industry. So whether it's with schools or church teams or whatever. And one of the first things that I that I say in my introduction is. It's likely that I'm going to learn a lot more from you yes. than you are from me Absolutely. because I got 20 people in the room that have all this vast experience about, you know, whether it's education or whatever the, you know, I, I do some realtor safety stuff and sure. I learn. So the more we have that active kind of back and forth, I can tell you a little bit about the law enforcement side or the safety side, but tell me about some of the things you're facing. So when it's more of a, when the trainings are more of a back and forth, yes. I get so much more out of them. And then the people in the class get more out of it sure. because they're hearing their peers talk yeah. about, oh yeah, well this one time I was doing this and, and you're able to kind of work off that. So we need to think about that as trainers, coaches, Absolutely. leaders about, Hey, it's, it's about them. Yes. Not and that's, <laughs> and, and we're always learning here yeah, at Under the Shield. Right. We learn yeah. from every training we go job. to, every stress coaching session we go to uh, have whatever. And uh, so, you know, we want to have you guys back, and and we're excited about your possible upcoming podcast keep too. Posted. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we and we'll keep the audience posted. Absolutely. Have you come up with a name? 
<laughs> I, I've been working. I, I'm kicking one around. Should, should I kick it yeah, out there? Go ahead. Uh, keep the wolves away with Scott and Eric. Nice. What do you guys think? Eric's <laughs> never heard that before. I'm looking at him right now. It's he's giving me a mediocre look back. Not excited. <laughs> hey, hey well, you got to throw him out or else we're not going to come up with the right one. Send us your feedback. <laughs> Absolutely. So how do how do people reach y'all if they're interested in the two reaching the 200 coaches or the training mm-hmm. that you're doing? How do they reach you guys? Yeah, for my part with Performance Protocol, you can reach me directly. It's performance-protocol.com is our website, and I'm Eric at uric at performance-protocol.com. Happy to hear from you. And this is some of the same that was formerly the Axon Coaching. Yes, thank you. We've rebranded and yeah, formerly Axon Coaching and okay. outgrew that and, and have rebranded. So. Yeah, good call. Perfect. Yes. And for me, it's uh, prodefenseadvisors.com. We do uh, school and house of worship training, everything from CPR to uh, active shooter. Uh, so it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, you can go there and get some more info or you can email me direct at info at prodefenseadvisors.com. Cool. Awesome. Well, very informative. Um, obviously, we have clients at Under the Shield that are going to need help um, from you guys because, again, I'll never retire. Y'all will find me dead in this podcast <laughs> room. Uh, they'll, the, the Phoenix guys have said they're just going to stuff me and prop me in my chair with my red man stick. <laughs> Probably some truth to that. Um, so, But we do. We have them come in, and we help them empty their garbage can, psychological yeah. garbage can prior to retirement. But they need to know there's life after retirement, right. and it doesn't necessarily look like what they're thinking because that's when there's disappointment. <laughs> and, and they need to know there's places they can go part time. We tell them at Under the Shield, you can be a stress coach. I don't care if you're sitting on the beach of Belize, as long as you got internet service and a cell phone, you can talk to people. It's not about being in an office, that's for sure. And uh, so, anyway, uh, Tom, you want to wrap it up here for us as we go out of here today? Yeah, I'd just like to thank all our listeners for coming back yeah. uh, again each week. We can't thank you enough for that. Um, but we also want to um, stress out to all of our listeners that are first responders, if you're feeling down, you're in some dark times, you reach just need out. to reach out to somebody. If it's Even if it's not us, that's fine. Reach out, get some help. There is help out there. You can reach us 24-7. If you call our hotline, at 855-889-2348. Nice job, Tom. You <laughs> <laughs> got it. Without two the board. Two, Without the board. Well. That's right. You can reach us 24-7. Now, if you call that number and you hit extension one, you will get a stress coach. Yes. Stay on the line. We do not have your phone number. We have the 855 number that you gave us or that you dialed um, because it's going to roll to the next available stress coach. So it may take a little bit. Stay on it. If we get disconnected and you didn't feel like sharing your information, you better call us back because we won't be able to contact you. Um, so Anonymity is the key here, guys. Exactly. This, we are trying to make this as as safe as possible yep. for you to reach out and for families also. Exactly. Families that may be listening, um, if you're noticing changes in your spouse and you're not sure what to do about who to talk to, that's where we can help out. Uh, get in touch with us and we will help you maneuver the system. Basically. Exactly. Right. I have a way of making these guys call. Me. <laughs> so we, yeah. Especially if your spouse doesn't want to talk to us. Oh yeah. Six yeah, Susan on them. Yeah, We're good. We'll put Susan on. Yeah, them They'll we'll be here. They'll be my new best friend. <laughs> but families, uh, we also want to thank you for all the crap that you have to deal yes. with. Uh, I know I remember I was on call for 22 years uh, and I remember 
shortly after being on, on call, going into a movie theater and then not even getting to the uh, concession stand and getting called me like, Oh, we uh, never made it to the parking lot, and he oh, was gone, and I had to go with other yeah, friends. Right, and then so my family's like, well, you might as well just take us home, you yep. know. So we, we understand about missed holidays and Sacrifices. Missed, all that sacrifice with the kids and family yep. stuff. So uh, we salute you for that. But yes. reach out to us. We can help you with that. Uh, if you want to reach me directly, you can reach me by cell phone at 480-861-6574, and you can do that day or night. Text, call, I don't care. Susan? Yes, if you want to reach me, it's area code 334-324-3570. I tell people, text me during the daytime if I'm in session or training. I can I always check text voicemails. It could be two or three days. At night, always call. I'm old. I won't hear the beep on the <laughs> on the text. I missed one from Phoenix last night. So uh, make sure you call 24-7. This is what we're here to do. Uh, you're not bothering us. The thing that drives me crazy is when we, I need to do it three in the morning, but I don't want to bother you. I will rip your face off <laughs> um, and forget the chemo stuff and all that. I need to stay busy because otherwise I'm going to get myself in trouble. Uh, so call, <laughs> reach out. Don't don't sit around in this by yourself. Again, we all find purpose in our pain and give us that opportunity. So uh, thank you again for listening in, and I uh, hope you'll join us again next week. Guys, thank you so much, yeah, and we'll you. look thank forward you. to continuing the network and the relationship here and how we can help you guys and, and kind of work together on this yeah, thing. Thanks for what you do, Susan. Well, really. Thank, thank you, guys. You. And uh, like I said, it's, there's room at the table for everybody. That's right. That's the whole point here. So take care. Stay safe. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. Joelle, thanks for being here today. You're now back with us full time. Time. We're happy to have you back. So this is awesome. He says it with such enthusiasm. Uh, Full time. Yeah. Take care and stay safe out there and join us again next time.